0: That's right, winners want the ball. Winners
1: want the ball. (laughs) Winners winners do want the ball. Coffee's
0: for closers. (laughs) Hey everybody and welcome to Let's Pod This. My name is Andy Moore. I'm one of your hosts like I am every week because I love doing this podcast. To my right is the good doctor Scott Melson. Hello, sir. What's up, man? How are you?
1: You know I'm well. Uh, it's it's dry
0: today. It's not raining today. It's not
1: raining. It's it's hotter than I would prefer. Uh, but um, but yes, yeah, it's, it's not raining.
0: Yesterday, so that's, that's I, good. I was on a conference call with a lady um, in Seattle. This is related to Civic Saturday, which we'll talk about later. But uh, I was coordinating with our national partners, and she was like, "What?" what exactly is going on with your weather in Oklahoma? I was like, well, I just opened the National Weather Service website and it appears that there's a giant pinwheel of rain just hovering over the state. And so I, I was like, I'll send you the link. And I, well, So we're talking in a minute later. She's like, I've got your email. Oh you're right it's just sitting there I was like yeah, yeah. all day just just raining all day uh, at three
1: inches an hour no less yeah in lots uh, of areas so do you know um, it was it was the thing that was bad for me it actually we, I mean at my house like it rained a lot but it wasn't as bad as it was west of the metro and kind of northwest of the metro but um, the thing that was frustrating for me is like when the storms rolled in about three o'clock yesterday morning when it like started right. with the thunder and lightning my power like kept yeah. going in and out yes. and the thing that's in Furating about that is because I am a like pretentious millennial and so I have my lights are on Alexa like through yeah uh, through Hugh yeah and, and they so when the power on. goes out and they come on <laughs> Yes. And you can't turn them off until your network resets. Yes. I had the exact same problem. And so like <laughs> the lights come on and they stay <laughs> on for ten minutes and they go out, and then ten minutes later it happens again. Yeah. And
0: it's absolutely infuriating. They woke up my dog at 3 a.m. and I was like, why are all the lights on? Yes. Yeah. So
1: uh, I learned something interesting in and uh <laughs> to uh to uh to quote friends, um kind of playing it fast and loose with the word interesting here, but I learned yesterday why that happens. Do you know why your power goes out and then immediately comes back on? I, I assume there's different reasons so no. Apparently the most common reason is that lightning strikes one of the transmission lines like mm-hmm. one of the high lines Right. and when it strikes a transmission line because the insulators are there capping it on either end right. um it will arc to the ground. And oh. when it arcs to ground like when it arcs to the ground it effectively creates a short circuit. Yeah, it closes so, the circuit. Yeah. yeah it's, so it's shorted to ground and when that happens it trips a breaker. Mm-hmm. But unlike the breakers that are in your house that breaker can, like, reset itself. Right, right, Like, it looks to see if the short is still there. Right. And so that's why they come out, but then they, like, will immediately come back on. Yeah. But if that happens too many times, too close together, like, back to back to back to back, it'll shut off and trip, and then the power company has to, like, reset it and turn your power back on. But that's why your lights can, like, flicker is because that... Art goes the breaker trips and then it sets it like sure. sets itself back
0: you know you learn something new on this podcast every week <laughs> it's true this and week look, it's electronics
1: i learned i learned that at three thirty yesterday morning because i was like wtf why does this happen like right
0: this? i'm gonna google that right now well anyway thank you for that scott that's very helpful you're welcome to scott's right over at the news desk uh we have brian ted jones
2: hi thanks for having me on thanks for being
0: here sir yeah Brian came by for to drop something off, and we roped him into being on the podcast after a lengthy discussion of the criminal justice system. That's right, yeah. Which I'm, I think will continue. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yes, we're. Uh, I'm going to pitch on the spot here. We're actually we are planning on having a whole episode on criminal justice criminal justice reform, like uh, later this summer. Yeah, and yeah. based on the like hour that we just talked,
0: uh, would you want to come back? Absolutely. Brian, you're a criminal justice or criminal uh, defense attorney.
2: I, I do have um, Among some, other talents. some folks that I am representing currently. Uh, I'm, I'm largely a medical marijuana attorney these days, but I've, I've been a <laughs> criminal defense attorney for most of the last decade. Is it
0: odd that that used to be a criminal defense s- situation and now it's not?
2: It's disorienting for me to, say, <laughs> uh, to speak for myself. Yeah, I mean, it's... Like, there's a bit of a shift that I've had to work through in my own head to go from representing people who were accused of doing something criminally to representing people that I'm helping to do the exact same thing <laughs> legally. <laughs> yeah.
0: It's a funny world we live in. It, it is, is interesting. funny world. That's right. I still, yeah. still think five years ago we would have never predicted this would be the state of affairs in Oklahoma. Really? Most people. I don't know. I think, 5 I think, years ago I didn't think about it. I think I mean I, I think we might have. I think a lot of
1: people wouldn't have, but I think we might have. Right. I but
0: yeah, I mean for a state that is often bemoaned as being behind the times, the fact that we passed uh, liquor modernization laws, medical right. marijuana, criminal justice reform, like all these things like in the same 2-year period is pretty phenomenal.
1: I mean it is, but it also I think speaks to what
0: you talk about a lot is that we
1: as Oklahomans generally, we are not huge fans of just like government in general Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. Oklahoma it's like it's very red obviously but I think Oklahoma is actually more libertarian than it is like straight sure like kind of dyed-in-the-wool conservative republican right Or I shouldn't say more it's that I think it I think there's a wider streak of that here than than maybe in some other places
0: right yeah well and I'll tell you and this is just a preview for I guess our listeners but um, as you know Scott because we've talked about this one of the big issues for me right now is about um, redistricting, right? So about gerrymandering and about independent redistricting, and so that's another series we're going to do this summer. Um, we're going to have uh, Keith Gaddy from OU, who's a bit of an expert on this, and some other folks to talk about it. And I really, um, if you're listening to this podcast and you care about redistricting as well, I really want to hear about it. I'm I really want to do some like focus groups or just um, I may drive around the state and talk to people and start like. I don't think people understand how our district lines are drawn. Like, I think everyone just assumes they're there. They don't know that we redo it every ten years. And, and we had an uh, episode about this a few months ago with our our intern, um, and I tweeted about this, and she retweeted me. So shout out to Megan if you are still listening. Um, but I really, it's just, I've I've downloaded probably ten podcasts about gerrymandering this week and really binged on that. And so I am hot to trot on on this issue that it's not it's not a real democracy. If well, you're drawing the lines unfairly, so intentionally
1: or not, you've actually like you've just gone straight into the news roundup. That, oh well, I mean, like you're just we're already, like we're already halfway there. We hit the hit the button and we can get into it. <laughs> All right, so our first piece this up is from K G O U. Uh, so this piece called uh, "Redistricting Guru's Hard Drives" could mean legal political woes for the GOP, the Grand Old Party, also known as Republicans. Um, so you're a Grand uh, Old Party, you're a high flying party. Uh, this is uh, this is an article talking about a man named uh, Thomas Hoffler. Uh, so Thomas Hoffler was a re- Republican strategist and like redistricting, uh, kind of gerrymandering guru who recently passed away. And upon his passage, his daughter. Um, when she was going through his things, found uh, a sack, literally a sack, full of a bunch of hard drives and thumb drives. Oops. And she found like (laughs) 100,000 files on this hard drive, which have proved very, very interesting. Um, So essentially what this, Thomas Hoffler was very involved in the kind of nationwide redistricting effort that the Republican Party undertook after the 2010 census um, that has in and I'm trying to be like as like impartial here as I can but the Republican Party undertook an effort to redraw district district lines across the country in ways that were as advantageous to them as possible. Mm -hmm. Um, Many of those efforts have been challenged in court. Some of those cases have gone all the way to the Supreme court. Um, They're going to be ruling. There are are. some more cases. Well, in fact, so one of the reasons this is so newsworthy is because there's a case that has already been argued before the court this term. Um, But uh, since we got an attorney here, he can tell me what this is called. Um, Apparently like there's a rule where like you've argued the case already, but then uh, to quote the dude, uh, from the Big Lebowski, uh, new shit comes to light, and when there's like new evidence that comes out, you can like tell the court and be like, "Hey, hello. So right. we already talked about this, but there is some information you don't have. Yeah, you know yeah. what's that? What's that called?
2: Uh, sounds like a petition for rehearing." Some, yeah, something some, like something that. like
1: that. It's very, right. very, very official sounding. Um, and there's people that are writing. Rid of do over. Yeah. There's like there's some some mulligan. There's like briefs. <laughs> briefs are getting filed and things are being examined. But that's one of the reasons this is so newsworthy is because um, this is this is the the question of whether or not partisan gerrymandering is permitted under the Constitution and the extent to which it is or is not is a question that the court has been wrestling with um, for years and years now. But a lot recently. So. Um, this the article is really interesting. Check it out. I mean, one of my, I think my, I think my favorite quote from Mister. Hoffler in the article is, uh, uh, this is quoting him in 2010 at the National Conference of State Legislatures. He says, uh, "Quote: Redistricting is like an election in reverse. It's a great event. Usually, the voters get to pick the politicians. In redistricting, the politicians get to pick the voters." That is literally. Yeah. I yeah, said that the so, other day in a meeting. Yeah. I was
0: like, "It's not fair. Like, they should yeah. not get
1: to pick the voters. We pick them." Yeah. Well, Mister. Hoffler, may he rest in peace, would. Disagree with you? No, so, I think he <laughs> agrees. Well, he, no, 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 no. He
0: says he he. he says we re- disagree. He thinks it's the correct yeah, thing he, to he do. He thinks it's fantastic. Okay, yeah. So on the premise no, that I it's right or wrong,
1: you yes, he, you both agree that that is in fact what happens. Yes. Um, you're like this is not how it should work, and he says no, that is precisely how it should work. Right. Um, so go to kgou.com You will uh, be able to find this there. We'll put it up on the blog, and as Andy said, look to hear way way more from us and the show about redistricting and what it means, how it's affected Oklahoma uh, in the coming months. We're going we're gonna to talk a lot about it.
0: I'm serious about doing some kind of statewide tour, like yeah. some kind of listening group yeah. tour. Agree. Like StoryCorps, yes. but about redistricting. Hard yes. Ooh, I need an Airstream. All
1: right. Shall we continue? <laughs> yes. That was not going to be the lead story, but Andy gets so excited about redistricting that we uh, we just, we went with it. But uh, next up from non-doc, um, some sad news this week, and for which we, and news that we don't really have a great explanation for. So, uh, Senator Jonathan Nichols, um, who is a former Republican state senator, uh, had worked and was working in Governor Stitt's office, has served Oklahoma government in a variety of capacities, uh, passed away yesterday. Was it yesterday or Wednesday? Um, he was found yeah, Wednesday. Uh, he was found dead at his home of a uh, gunshot wound. There's an investigation ongoing. Um, uh, we don't know what has happened. Uh, non Doc has the piece and a really nice profile of Senator Nichols with a lot of bipartisan accolades for how great he was to work with and uh, how he served the state. So um, definitely take take the time to check that out. Um, it's uh, sad, but it is it's a nice tribute of someone who really did a lot of work for the state.
0: Yeah. It's um it's, it's I think it's one of those stories. That it was certainly surprising, unexpected. This wasn't it wasn't like he was ill or I mean Yeah, he was
1: shot. What yeah. <laughs> we we don't we don't know by whom or why. Right. So
0: yeah, a lot of unanswered questions and so certainly our uh, thoughts and prayers with his family. Indeed. Uh up next
1: a piece from the Oklahoma. And this is one of those that I just like I just kinda shake my head a little. So Auditors find overpayments in Oakmulgee County. So, oh yeah, uh, big, uh, big audit was done and has found that multiple countywide officials in uh, Oklahoma in uh, Oakmulgee County, including county commissioner, sheriff, treasurer, county clerk, court clerk, and county assessor, um, were overpaid from 2014 to now, and they were overpaid like their salaries were too big. And they and they quote uh, Vanna Lumpkins, who's the county treasurer in Okmulgee. She says, "I'm shocked, and I'm glad I decided to keep my 2011 Nissan. Um, I mean, I think that was a good year for the Nissan. Uh, and, uh, Nissan's yeah, a good yeah, car. Yeah, right? Nissan, right. great But I guess, I guess, my question: I get, I get, I get paid twice a month, right. and I know exactly how much it's supposed to be. And if there's ever a time that that number is different than what I'm expecting, I like look at my pay stub, and I'm like, what's what is different this year or like this month or this week than the last you know 27 paychecks I've received so I just I'm just curious like you're you're like you're shocked like why are you well I, <laughs> why are you or, like, I think it was every, before she was in office but, no she's just two, she was she's one of the ones yeah but one it of says, the, it, one they, of the elected officials found to have received excessive payments right right
0: right but I think it's been their whole oh, she's
1: her whole career so her paycheck's always been the same
0: Right. No, yeah. Fair enough. And they said that they think it was just a misinterpretation by a previous county assessor on how to fill out a form. I guess like the county, <laughs> Brian looks skeptical, uh, I guess the county uh, employee minimum salary schedule is some kind of like formula-based situation, which I have to see it to understand. There's probably a reason, but to me it seems weird that there's a formula. Why not just like yeah. have a number on a piece of paper that's you like you get it? it. $42,000. That's in my mind how it should work. Because it's government, as we know from Facebook, sometimes algorithms don't work in our favor. Um, what? And when you make them really complicated, at very low levels of government, it seems unnecessary. Anyway, I'm glad they f- they're going to fix the glitch. Indeed. Do they have to pay it back? Does it say? <laughs> it didn't say. I would think they have to pay back, right? That's not their fault. That's, yeah, right. But you. But if it's like if you got a paycheck, you get a paycheck. Let's say someone came in and said, "Ah, Scott, man, listen, we've been paying you and everybody else the wrong amount forever." we're going to need you to give this money back. That is absolutely what my place of work would do. Okay, but how would you <laughs> feel about it?
1: I mean, I'd be, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be excited about it. And okay. you're shaking your head. They're like not allowed to do that. Is that the deal? Oh, I'm just,
2: I'm just shaking my head because I would be really upset and I would say no.
0: <laughs> be like, listen, I've been making this amount the yeah. whole time. No, true. I, I wouldn't want to, but I can just tell you that that's what they would do. Also, there's a chance. And again, I don't know. I don't live or work in Mulgee County, so I don't know. But in my place of employment, when you get hired, there's like a, Offered letter that states the amount in there or uh, there's like a form you gotta fill like it's on paper about how much this person's gonna get paid same I would assume right or wrong that Okamalke County might have similar pieces of paper and so people could have been hired and paid the wrong amount the whole time but it's not their fault and it was on paper somewhere and they're like but you paid me now if it's like If if the paper says if the paper one number and they got paid something else right now
1: if the paper says the wrong number and then they've been getting paid the wrong number I mean that's tough noogies right like (laughs) sorry like I'm sorry that you agreed to pay me too much right but if it is we agreed to pay you X and we have instead been paying you Y and we just realized it like sorry you got to give us the difference back like
0: or I'd be pissed but that's what they would do or maybe they just issue an edict that well everyone got a raise and we'll just leave it at this and you don't get a raise for the next three years. Or if you're in state government, the next 12 years. Or ever. <laughs> or ever, right. right. We might take your money. All right. Um, All right. So last. If our, anyone, if, if any of our listeners are in Oklahoma County and happen to work for the county or any county for that matter, we should ask Carrie Bloomert. Yeah. She'd come on. She'd tell us about how this yeah. works if she's figured it out in Oklahoma County. I'm sure every county now is like, oh, shit. Let's check our <laughs> check our numbers. Because it happened in uh, Grady County first. Yeah. That's how it's State like, Auditor Cindy Bird needed to look for it. It's not an uncommon thing. It's yeah. Sort of I'm telling same. you, stuff at the county level, there's a lot, Ooh, of, fishy. lot of stuff going on there. A oh, fishy. Most powerful level of government, according to some people, in Oklahoma. Yeah, yeah I think, I think it could be true. Do Not all states call them counties, though, right?
2: Louisiana and Alaska, I believe, call them parishes.
0: Ooh, let's.
2: I know Louisiana. I'm not sure. I think Alaska, maybe.
0: I, that's surprising. I would not imagine parishes in Alaska.
2: Yeah, I may be totally wrong. It may I just think be Louisiana.
0: I think they're called something weird in Minnesota, oh. too. It was counties. I lived
1: there. Is it counties? I lived in yeah. Washington County.
0: All right. All right, what's All our right. last story there?
1: Last story. So this is, uh, this is a huge piece of news. Uh, you guys may have heard about this already. So um, big announcement this week that uh, Devon and Chesapeake and Continental – uh, Sandridge have all announced that uh, after the legislature raised the gross production tax from two to five percent last year, that they're packing up, they're leaving, layoffs are happening, and they are moving out of Oklahoma. You're full of lies. That's not it. That's not it. That's not what happened.
0: No, they're still still drilling We're oil still here because the oil is here. Oh wait. Oh no.
1: It's oh here's what it was. It's that Oklahoma Policy Institute, they put out their 2020 budget highlights and said that the vast majority of new revenue that's in the budget this year is from the increased gross production
0: tax that the legislature passed last year. Well, that's not just from the OK Policy budget highlights. That's actually from the budget. Yeah, it's a fact. Those are the actual numbers. Yes. However, we have before us the policy highlights because that's where you read it first.
1: I just think it's hilarious because I literally was going through my Twitter feed this morning and OK Policy, like, they tweeted that out that, like, these revenues are due in large part to the legislators' legisl- legislature's uh quote willingness to increase gross production tax last year and I mean I went through and it was like retweet after retweet after retweet after retweet of like oh wait so are they are they are they leaving do they lay everybody off are they quitting are they moving Head- headquarters are are going to, to Houston what's what's happening no that's not happening they're paying more in taxes and they're fine
0: yeah the economy's killing it they're doing great right for right now however i will say that in the ok policy fiscal year 19 or fiscal year 20 budget highlights there is a there is a graph we have a paper copy here can, i love graphs you can hear good charts change the world it's on page it's figure 6 state savings balances from fiscal year 2001 to 2020 in millions of dollars and you can easily see here if you're watching this on our on our stream Video, you can see a very obvious boom and bust cycle, <laughs> right there. Indeed. this is uh, about how much money goes in. This is really what goes into the uh, rainy day fund, right? So the this is how much goes, yeah. Re- Revenue stabilization fund, and then there's rainy day fund. But yes. basically, it's like from we're doing okay, and then in 04 nothing went in because we had to use it all, and then or the balance there's nothing in there. We used it all. Then we put some in in like o five o six o seven o eight o nine and ten. We maxed out put as much as we could, and then, boom, 2011, we put nothing in there, uh, and we drained it all. Really, between ten, between 9 and 10, we didn't add any, um, but we didn't take any out either. It was just kind of a flat year, and then we had to drain it all, and then here we are. And so now, this year, we've got a ton of money that we saved, some of which because the legislature decided to put some of it into a third Yet a, yet a third fund.
1: Yeah, so we're we're at like just under we're we're just a just a hair over a billion dollars in the in the rainy day fund. Governor has a goal of having it to two billion by the end of his
0: first term. Um, so I had this conversation with OK policies budget analyst Paul Shin yesterday, that uh, and with David Blatt, that the my understanding or their understanding is that the rainy day fund, um the amount that or no the I think the the balance that it can be, right, is... It's capped constitutionally. It's capped, but it's capped at a certain percentage of right. the previous year's um, appropriated, or previous year's revenue. Yeah. So there's a scenario that hasn't happened yet. There's a scenario where uh, the we exceed the cap, um, and then, but we can't... How, how did it work out? Like, that the, the uh, that we would have, it would be let's say 2 billion dollars this year but then because revenue was down but the next right. year the cap is smaller than what's actually in there right yes i don't
1: think that they are required to like spend it down in that circumstance but i could be wrong
0: i well their guess was they would just roll over to the special cash fund oh, they'd right. just move it over and sure. then they would still appropriate it sure um but i just to me again um, highlighted that all of our budget many of our state budget approaches are reactive in nature and they are reactive in the worst ways like that they often are misguided and and aren't aren't really leading us to a sound fiscal future as a state
1: agree did you have any other uh any other nuggets
0: from the 2020 budget highlights i'm sure i do i mean mostly it's pretty much just smoke them if you got them um but i think if you will look at the okay policy budget thing they really do have a uh uh, appropriations breakdown by agency from two thousand nine to twenty twenty. So that's ten years and it shows basically like what happens for each each um, agency year to year, which I think is helpful just in understanding yeah. like yeah. okay, where have we been? And it's a several page long table. Trends are your friend. Trends are your friends. I like that. Yeah. And I charts would, change the world. That's not as not as warm and fuzzy as trends are your friends. Right. I want to get a t shirt with that on there. Um I think the other thing that I appreciate is the and Hearts. Ooh, there it, it. it is. Right. There it right. is. We'll Front and Dave. back right he's,
1: there. I gonna... like it.
0: I like it. Um, the other thing that I appreciate is that, okay, policy puts out like appropriations numbers since their inception pretty much for the last 10 or 11 years worth. to so they go back to fiscal year 09. In some cases, they have gone back like in uh, graphing the appropriations for the last 20 years, um, adjusted for inflation, which is important. You will notice, listeners, that um, lesser think tanks – We'll put out graphs that just report numbers that have not been adjusted for inflation. Well, that bothers me because they'll be like, "Well, there's more people in school this year than ever before." I'm like, "Well, there's more people on Earth than
1: ever before." Yeah. Of course, that happens. It's, it's and they do that because it's very misleading. Like they like and they know it's misleading, right? And it's well, also, they know, but the public doesn't always know, and that's right. what I'm concerned about is right. protecting the public, right? And they and it's and it's frustrating too because they're like literally the only people that do that.
0: Yeah, well, right here of the like three groups they ever put out these numbers yes so i will highlight
1: we're talking about it it's like we're talking about them who must not be named is the the think tank
0: I'll, the question i'll say ocpa yeah That's who it is. and um they I, I will take them a task they don't always do a good job i don't think they listen but they don't do a good job with numbers sometimes Wait, you don't you don't think they subscribe to the show i don't think so i, I think you're right as as seven or eight <laughs> listeners they are not not one um but just as a, a bit tidbit of information fun fact in fiscal year two thousand, which would have been the year that I moved to Oklahoma, state appropriations were nine point two billion dollars, right? That was twenty years ago, right? So fast forward twenty years, which is a generation, appropriations for next year will be just under eight billion dollars.
1: Seven point nine 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 in fact. Yes.
0: And so we are we are appropriating less money to government now than we did twenty years ago. In absolute terms. No, that's a, that's adjusted for. Oh, that is, uh, okay. that is yeah. adjusted for. Okay. Yeah. Um, no, in absolute terms, it's probably more now than it was then. But again, it's twenty years ago. And twenty years ago, like a a humping bottle of soda wasn't three dollars. Have you bought soda lately? I I, haven't I almost known. never do. I was at a gas station, and for a twenty liter, or like a twenty ounce bottle, it was like a dollar seventy nine. Are you serious? I guarantee that soda does not cost more money to produce today than it did. This is not even including tariffs. Like I just think that <laughs> that. Someone is racketeering on... There's a soda tax, which is... If that's the I, case, I, that's I rem- fine. But. I
1: remember when... Like, I remember when all the vending machines changed from 12-ounce cans to 20-ounce bottle, bottles, right. and it went from 50, 50 cents for a can, and yes. all the vending machines were a dollar, and I thought it was out frigging rageous. Yes. I was like, that is a... That is a 100% price increase for like an 80% increase in volume of soda, and that's ridiculous. When
0: I worked at Subway as a sandwich artist, it was in a gas station, you could buy a two-liter bottle of soda for 99 cents. All of them. You got a Crest, you still can. Really? Yeah. Okay, well, that's highway robbery then. If you can buy a a two-liter bottle for 99 cents, but a 20-ounce bottle costs almost $2. And if you go to a restaurant, it's darn near $3 for a soda.
1: Yeah, that's why I drink beer.
0: That's exactly why
2: I drink beer. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right, so um, a that quick, that a, up, a quick update. for our
0: news roundup? Or are you getting, what did you get here? No, I have an update here. Um, oh, I see a map of Alaska on your screen. Indeed. Uh, so Alaska is one of only two states that does not have counties. Louisiana has parishes. Alaska has boroughs. Ah. It also has one very large unorganized borough administered directly by the state Denali? that is broken oh, no. into several census areas. So. That's interesting. Google it. Maybe I'll try to remember it. I'll put this on the blog as well. That's almost as interesting as my definite my uh, analysis
1: of or explanation of why electricity outages happen.
0: Well, we've learned so much today in this yeah. podcast already.
1: Never say we don't teach you things, dear listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Never say that you don't come away smarter than you, uh, smarter than when you tuned in.
2: Burrows, yeah. huh?
0: Burrows. Much like New York City, but mm-hmm. different because they're called like um, the North Slope in the Northwest Arctic and Nome, Dillingham. <laughs> Valdez, Cordova. Are you going to you read know. all of them? No.
2: <laughs> how, many, how many boroughs are there in Alaska? Mm,
0: it Looks like roughly 15 or so. Okay. Juneau, Anchorage, some of those. Um, some of them. Kodiak Island. A lot of I them. really want to go to Alaska. I would not have guessed there was a borough called Dillingham in in Alaska, right? It seems like the wrong... If it was in Delaware, sure. Makes sense. Alaska, not so much. Shall Prince we? of Wales, outer Ketchikan.
1: That's, that's what it's called? Yeah. Prince of Wales Outer Ketchikan? Yeah. I had a TA it's in also a uh, Ketchikan Gateway. I had a TA in Berlin. college from Ketchikan.
0: Really? Yeah. It sounds fun.
1: She All taught right, my l- government class.
0: Nice. Let's take a very quick break and then we'll come back and actually talk about politics, namely uh, Justin Brown being the director of a DHS. We'll be right back. Brian, I saw you bobbing your head during that interlude. Thank you very much.
2: Yeah, you know, music, right?
0: Right. speaks to the soul, right? Yeah. And by the way, this music is provided by the Sugar-Free All-Stars, in case people have not listened to our outro and we talk about that, but they're a good band. Good couple of dudes. Yep. Um, All right, so this week it was announced uh, perhaps the most hotly anticipated uh, appointment by the governor so far was for the director of the Department of Human Services here, formerly held by Ed Lake. Uh, Ed was hired by a committee this is back when dhs was going through their whole lawsuit doj intervention pinnacle plan thing and he was like it was like a nationwide search yeah. and they brought this guy in because he ran basically dhs in tennessee. tennessee yeah um and so he came in he's been here for a decade-ish uh, i think seven or eight years eight, eight years so he
1: came in, in 2011 he was a 40-year veteran of uh child welfare services in uh tennessee
0: i i Venture to say an expert in this kind of thing. Yes. Um, 40 years is a long time to do anything. Yes. I haven't been alive that long. And so and um, he he did that, came here, really implemented the pinnacle plan. Um, but true to Governor Stitt's kind of pledge or desire, at least, he, he has the option to reappoint existing agency heads or to appoint someone new. Well, he does now. He does now. He didn't. Well, that wasn't... Was DHS one of them they gave to him or was that already there? As one of the ones that they
1: gave to him, I think, right? I think because so. Commissioner Lake was appointed, like he was appointed by Fallon, but it was a very, like it was a special circumstance because right. the previous was like let go because of all the problems with DHS. The and children, pedag- yeah. So it was anyway. So, um, and Commissioner Lake, he's been—I don't know him personally, and certainly I wouldn't—I would not say that DHS is an agency without ways in which they could improve, um, but. I, th- I think that the general consensus both from within the agency and people who work with them would be that he has done a good job. Like he's been, yeah. a, he's, he's led the agency I, well. I
0: mean, given the circumstances and the difficulty of that agency, right? It's the largest agency. It's like seven or 8,000 employees. And it's not like they're doing um, happy-go-lucky work. Right, right. right. So I, I'm assuming
1: that in this case he appointed Justin Brown... Uh, it's kind of like a transition, and that Mr. Brown is also someone with extensive experience and expertise in child welfare and public service.
0: I can sense your snark, and I have anticipated this. Um, it's not. It's not. Well, I, I, I'll say uh, a tiny bit yes, but mostly no. What does he? What does he do? Well, he uh, has run some companies that owned um, like nursing homes and like assisted living centers, which is under the purview of DHS. Oh, so he's a business guy. He's a businessman. Yes. Oh, so he'll be better. I I don't know about that, but I you can you can you can laugh. It's fine. <laughs> I think um, I think what well, I'm curious. i can also like, not laugh I, though, right? right. I, you can also not. I am so like
1: I have been like steaming and fuming. I am so pissed off about this. It's like,
2: it's what, what it's, aggravates you about it? It's maybe
1: I like let it out, Scott. You know, like here's. This uh, there are several things. So, like one, the governor has the power now to appoint agency heads or many agency heads, and DHS is certainly one of them. So um there's no question that this is well within his purview to do, and he doesn't have to reason to let commission doesn't have to have a reason to let commissioner like go. That's the first thing. But you are taking someone with literally decades of experiences in this particular area of public policy and you're saying okay a better person to take the agency in a better direction is a guy who has literally no experience in this area at all like the only experience that he has is that he is the ceo of a company that's an investment capital firm and like an investment entity that owns some nursing homes they own seven nursing homes in oklahoma and texas and like he serves on the board of the children's hospital foundation he's on the board of a couple other organizations here in the state that kind of work in this arena but like being on the board of an organization that that um works in this area is not the same as the day-to-day work of like running policy. So the first thing is like, I am concerned that he doesn't like that. He one doesn't know how to do this. That's the first question. But the first concern I have, the second concern is like the idea that, um, because he has literally zero experience, he doesn't know what he doesn't know. Right. Like mm-hmm. it's not like, it's not like he's, being promoted like it's like he's a super junior level employee that's being promoted to the top because of his exceptional leadership qualities like he's being brought in completely from the outside but the third thing that just really like uh what is it, is it uh homer simpsons of what uh, really grinds my gears right like is that is that a homer simpson quote i don't know or maybe the king of the hill i don't know it's one of those um it is a continued like diminution of public service right it is this tacit or even even open um, open yeah that's what pro- you're profession that like public service is not a skill, right? That because someone has been successful in the business world, they are inherently qualified to come in and run this massive government agency that employs 6,000 people that has a budget of $2 billion. Oh, and by the way, is responsible for ensuring the welfare, safety, and development of some of our most vulnerable children. Like, we're entrusting that to a person who, and I don't know Justin Brown, like, he may be great. Like, people have great things to say about him. He's been very successful in his professional life. And in a year, I may be like, that's the best freaking decision that the governor's ever made. But right now, I have serious questions like you want to replace someone who has been doing a very good job the pinnacle plan um the and i'm not going to get into all the details of the pinnacle plan but if you're listening to this and you know about the pinnacle plan you know what i mean when i say the co-neutrals so the co-neutrals who are the court appointed the court appointed um people who are in charge with making sure that oklahoma is adhering to the pinnacle plan which we were court ordered to do based on this lawsuit in 2011 2010 2011 the co-neutrals who are not easy to please have said that by all accounts DHS in Oklahoma is moving in the right direction in literally every single way, Mm -hmm. and that has happened under Commissioner Lake. And so we're gonna fire him for a venture capitalist because he's a business guy and because he's forward thinking.
0: Like, let you take a breath. (sighs) That just sorry. (laughs) For the sake of a counterpoint, here's my thoughts as I've thought about this issue this week. One, uh, so Commissioner Lake was in Tennessee for 40 years. He's been here for eight. It's a chance that he is nearing retirement at some point and he may not have wanted to re- to stay on, right? He may have been like, you know what? Now's a good chance to leave. We don't know, I haven't talked to him. That's one thought. Secondly, as I um, as I look at my my job, right? So I oversee 26 people, social workers, therapists, nurses, front desk staff, educators healthcare professionals uh, I am I'm a therapist but I'm not a doctor but I still oversee some of those things right and perhaps those are more closely related than other things right like I'm not overseeing uh, marine biologists right um, and I'm not and I'm not necessarily like feeding in or agreeing with the idea that we should run government like a business I think anyone who knows me knows that I have some reservations about that premise. However, I think, I think at the agency level in particular, right? Because DHS does a lot of stuff. They do child welfare. They do senior citizens. They also do. got a, a a lot of. I think I'm gonna say shit ton. A lot in this episode, but like they've got a lot of employees who do a lot of different things. Many of whom are just like paper pushers right and like many of whom do things that aren't directly related to the the person-centered healthcare work thing that we think about right a lot of disability yeah like the mission stuff um and i i think i think it in times can be advantageous to like have a to have a, a doctor running a hospital but often at a hospital you have like a, a chief medical officer also a chief executive officer, a chief finance officer, and those people have different skill sets. So in our medical program, I am effectively the chief operating officer, like where I run the operations of our program. My boss is our CFO, I, not really, but that's kind of how she operates. She runs the money and the grants, and then our medical director runs the medical things. I don't, and, and we work together like that. In some ways, I think that I mean a, a state agency would probably benefit from a similar oligarchical structure there. Like, <laughs> there's like a, a multifaceted head, and I get they have to have someone that's like the main one, right? And so,
2: is it, I mean, there's a constitutional point I think here, and this is um, this kind of goes back to Governor Stitt's request that he be given hiring and firing authority mm-hmm. over these large agency directors. I mean, that really gets into a fundamental question of. How the government operates is—is is this going to be a government like it was set up under uh, under the uh, the progressive movement, where boards and commissions are the accountable parties, or is this going to be a government like lots of other governments in the United States, right. where it's it's basically the executive who appoints and hires and fires? And I think that there's something fundamental about this change that in Oklahoma we haven't quite grappled with. Um, I think that when you have agencies being staffed by those those decisions getting made by boards and commissions, the idea, I believe, the progressive movement idea, was to have people who were a not political, not cronies or, or people who were um, dependent on some political benefactor, but that you also get more expertise. There's a problem with that because. Board, nobody understands how the boards and commissions work <laughs> right. right and so any time the public doesn't understand something i think they feel alienated from it they feel mm-hmm. like there is no accountability even when there there might be some they're more comfortable with this kind of of constitutional government
0: cuz it's simpler
2: it's simpler it makes sense it fits what what they're familiar with you know at the at the national level i think one of the things this underlines is just how strange the oklahoma constitutional system is
0: Right. I do think it's funny that I think um to go back to what Scott said earlier about our kind of populist undertones here yeah. that that I think many voters um, would say two things that are in many ways diametrically opposed but somehow we hold them both in our brain right that we we don't want unelected bureaucrats running stuff That's which boards right. and commissions we also don't want the executive to have power to appoint. And I was like well yeah. those are The only two options, really, like Mm -hmm. unless you just like draw lots, right? And that's Hunger Games. So we don't want that either. And so, like, the three options are unelected bureaucrats, appointed um, political cronies, Mm -hmm. or Hunger Games uh, lottery system.
2: And we've tried the first two, right? (laughs) That's all we have left. Then
0: let's just, I I volunteer as tribute.
1: I mean, (laughs) I think, I think, I think you both are, I make, make great points um i think what i think brian what you're saying about how like what a fundamental change this is in oklahoma um is 100 true i think that while i like i certainly in theory i kind of like the idea of like the boards and commissions but i also i also can see i can see the value in maybe needing to like streamline things a little bit and that like if you have an executive director and one that is appointed by the governor that that does like it allows for more of a kind of unified like vision for like right. this is where we're going to go as a, as a state right. but i think that the like the check is or what in my opinion the check should be is that the person or persons that the governor appoints to these things are qualified to do it and 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 the, and the issue I have here, and I mean I don't know Governor <clears throat> Stitt, right? Like I could be I could be totally wrong with what I'm about to say, but my suspicion is so the governor has like removed himself from all of his business deal, right? He's mm-hmm. like not involved with Gateway Mortgage. He's done the, the ethical thing and re- removed himself from all of that. But if he was gonna have a say in who was gonna be running his company in his absence, does does anybody really think that if if his board came to him and said, "Hey, Governor, we've got the we've got the the perfect person to run Gateway Mortgage while you're the governor. Uh, it's, yeah, it's pretty pretty young. They you know studied you know they studied uh, history at you know such and such university, um, and they just really are a great visionary leader." they've never worked in banking and they have don't have any experience in like commercial lending or mortgage lending and they don't have a kind of professional or educational background in that industry but we really just think with their vision they're like the right choice. Mm-hmm. Does I, that, I mean does anybody think that the governor would be like yeah you know what that sounds that sounds that sounds, that sounds, that sounds like a that's a great idea. It's like It is, to me, this hire, and and this has been reflected in several of the hires that the governor has made, it is reflective of the idea that if you are successful as a business person, that means that you can be successful at anything. You can do anything because running a business is the hardest, most difficult, most like, if you're an entrepreneurial person, that means that that, that you can come in and just step into this leadership role. And I don't think that that's necessarily the case. Like, I think that foster care and mental health services and senior services like I think these things they are incredibly complicated from a regulatory standpoint, both at the state level and at the federal level. Mm -hmm. They're complicated from a human standpoint. They're complicated from a research standpoint. Like how many different state and federal programs tie into DHS and the work that it does every day? Mm -hmm. Right? And now you've appointed somebody to lead the agency
0: that doesn't have a background in working in any of those things. Right. I think so I'm I'm not saying that I think he's the best choice necessarily. I will say that I in some ways I feel like this is in my opinion better than some of the other appointments that the governor has made in in my assessment because at least uh Mr. Brown's background is somewhat related to this. Like if he had been running a NASCAR team and then come over like that would be a bit more of a red flag, a checkered flag if you will. Um <laughs> Of uh yeah, there's a there's a rim shot there. Um sure I think there's um I think that would be a different story, right? Like again, if he's run an agency that deals with some of these entities, he's been running a business that deals with some of these entities. I think there in my mind there's an argument to be made that his actual duties and role um might be somewhat similar to what he was doing before. Not not directly translatable and not certainly as translatable as like Commissioner Lake, who had run state agencies, but at some point you're gonna run out of people. I mean, no, like you're right. I mean, I guess I
1: would say like um if he had hired someone who was a national director for like I'm trying to think of you know, um and I, like If he was hiring someone who had been the executive director of a large statewide or national agency that coordinates adoption services or um, a CEO, a previous CEO or CFO of a large hospital or, you know, somebody like uh, an administrator from like the VA or, you know what I mean? Like someone who had like, but I mean, as as best I can tell, like he owns a venture capital firm that bought several nursing homes and owns them because it looks like a good business opportunity. Like, well, yeah, but I think, he involved in the day to day management
0: of that at all. No, but I have a hunch based on my experience with other VCs that he has some awareness and understanding of how the business works, right? Like he understands how you can make money at it. I think there's more than that. Like, because the VCs I know won't invest in businesses they don't understand. They want to invest so they can be involved in the day to day. So the, and because they've got connections, not just because it's a good investment, right? Like, there's there's a different kind of connection. So, also, if you watch Shark Tank and think about how the sharks choose some of those things, I know it's a show, but like, I think there's a lot of truth in in some of that. I mean, and you and you like you
1: maybe you may be one hundred percent right. Like, now I will say like I have strong feelings about the way the healthcare and hospital administration <laughs> has yeah, like yeah. gone in in this country in the last thirty years. Um, but I would say though that like most. You know, for better or worse, most of the MBAs that run... Well, first of all, usually people that are running hospitals and clinics, they're not straight MBAs. They're masters of healthcare administration. And most of them have... I'm a straight MBA. Yes, I'm aware. I'm entrepreneurship, actually. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm aware. <laughs> I, uh, uh, but they also, though, have extensive experience, right? Like they've worked in the healthcare sector like their mm-hmm. whole career.
2: It's kind of a left-right thing here, right? Mm-hmm. Like a Republican-Democrat thing where... Mm-hmm. I think that Democrats or people on the left are perhaps more comfortable with people who have specific expertise in the area they're given authority over, whereas folks on the right are, they have more faith in people who are men of industry. Sure. Right.
1: I think you're 100% right. And I mean, I'm not like, I'm, you know, I've said on the show at least twice a week, like I'm a progressive, right? But I... I'm, I'm one, not anti-business, and I also don't, I absolutely appreciate the value. Like, I think, it is absolute, I think it is absolutely true that there are innumerable government agencies, both at the state and federal level, that could benefit from a, a better, more global implementation of business strategy and techniques mm-hmm. in their day-to-day management. Sure. I think that is, to me, that is 100% true. And, and that's why I got my MBA, so I can help nonprofits run to have a yeah. better business like, mindset. I, I think that's true. And I and I, th- and I think that you can take someone who... I think there are times when it is a reasonable chance to take to take someone whose only experience is in the private sector and put them in charge of a public sector agency if there is enough overlap, right. right? Like, now, I don't think... That even though there's a lot of overlap, is a good idea to take a coal executive and put that person in charge of the EPA, right? Like I don't think that that's a good well, there's, yeah, fit, right? But I think that you could, I think that you could absolutely take someone who has run a private sector hospital system and make them the administrator of the Departments of Veterans Affairs. Like that makes. That makes a lot of sense mm-hmm. to me, even if they've never worked at the VA before. Right. I think that they would bring a lot there. I it turned out to be a disaster for a number of reasons, but actually, when you look at President Trump and the people that he hired in his cabinet, the person that I was actually most optimistic about was Rex Tillerson oh, um, yeah. as Secretary of State. I was like, you know what? Like, I don't know how this is going to go, but I could see a scenario a scenario under which that is a like that works really really well it didn't but it could have um well, right what's like,
2: going on in the alternate universe where rex tillerson is still secretary of state right we, made, made peace with russia it's all going right. swimmingly. everything's fine no, no tariffs um no terrorists. i just
1: i don't know and again like this is an area i was i was talking with with uh, i was talking with uh, a legislator this week and they were kind of like you know the governor has put all of his eggs in one basket right like it's like top 10 You gave me the power to hire and fire. You gave it, but like, so in two years, if DHS is like cooking with gas, then I'll sit here and say, like, man, Justin Brown, that was a I I was not a fan, but it looks like it's been a great hire. But in two years, if DHS is like, you know, not, then
2: then
0: that's the man. That's the double edged sword of being an agency head, right? Where like, if things go well, it's probably a team effort. But if things tank, which is certainly unlikely, the result of one person, um, you are also the fall guy for that. Yeah, so, no, that's true. That's true. Um, all right. Well, um, shall we move to our next one? We should. We are. are nearing, what's our uh,
1: what's our time situation?
0: We're nearing the end of time. Let's give it okay. five minutes here. All right. Um. So our last uh, topic we're going to discuss is uh, another decision by the governor that was announced this week that he is effectively ending lobbying contracts that have been held by state agencies, right? And so this was something that came up, I think, during the campaign even. uh, Many state agencies contract with lobbyists to beat the Capitol as opposed to hiring like a legislative liaison or having someone that's on staff. Well, right? Or is this actually those two?
1: No, so this is like private lobbying firms.
0: Okay, so like hiring right contract FKG lobbyists. So he right,
1: in January he issued an executive order that says agencies cannot sign new third-party lobbying contracts. Right with um, with, with like, like private a, private firms. Right or individuals or whatever. Right. Right.
0: right. Um, and part of his statement with this was him saying like, you should um, if agencies because the argument was so he said like agencies should partner up so the argument was like well some agencies can't afford it so several of us will like we all each hire our own and do it like rather than hiring someone in-house they would contract with someone for like a thousand dollars a month or something yeah um and he was like well you should just all get together and use the same person then and like align interests right so like if rather than uh let's get a good example so rather than like the health department having an in-house liaison and the professional
1: and DHS having in the house liaison. Well, I
0: think those can afford it, but like a smaller entity, like the, I was going to say like the LPC, like the licensed counselor board, like they don't, they can't afford a lobbyist. So they, I don't think they do, but they could hire a, a contractor for, you know, a small retainer each month, like, you know, 300 or $500 a month, a thousand dollars a month. Um, and Stitt was like, no, you should just talk to the health department and have their person be your person also. Like i've he wants,
1: him to, he wants them to get together or he even wants like smaller agencies. Like he wants the LPC board to get together with the medical board and the nursing board yeah, yeah. and the social worker, social worker board yeah, and the yeah. physical therapy board and like have one,
0: they all put their resources together and just have probably one what happened really. Like they probably all contracted with the same person. Probably. Um, <laughs> Brian's nodding also. That sounds, that sounds right. So I can probably name some of those lobbyists that had those contracts.
1: The, so the question that I wanted to talk about, and I'm curious what you guys think about this. Um, and this kind of dovetails with, so there's, there's two things that happen. So, um, Governor Stitt is ending lobbying contracts, right? And so that's one kind of like limitation of lobbyists. However, the legislature um, voted down uh, at, in, the, in the last week of session, voted down the recommendations from the ethics board saying that uh, legislators, there has to be a two-year cooling off period before legislators can register as lobbyists. And I guess the the question I would put to you guys is, does any of this matter, right? Yes. Like, does, does limiting... Does limiting the ability of agencies to hire uh, professional third-party lobbyists, like does that, does that matter for government? And does the ability of state legislators to, you know, not run for office, uh, or when they've termed out, immediately become a lobbyist, like does that matter?
2: Yeah, I think it matters a lot. The first, the first point that, um, you know, ending the ability of these agencies to to have their own independent lobbyist. Uh, third-party lobbyists with uh, the legislature. I don't know. I mean, one of the things that lobbyists do, which is really valuable, I think, is explain to legislators what's going on with whatever industry or agency that they're, they're representing. And, you know, I, I'm concerned that if you put all of that on state employees who are already overworked and underpaid, by the way, that the legislature is just going to be less informed Andrew
0: I agree I mean that's the hard part is that um, the legislators cannot be experts in everything if they they've got to have someone from say agencies to be that person to help inform them um, and the agency heads have to be busy running the agency so it's not like they can be up there all the time right same reason that like a lot of nonprofits and other organizations hire contract lobbyists is because they're all doing their work they're trying to hire someone who's an expert and has these relationships already to, to do it. So I think I think
1: that the reason the reason that steps like this are being taken like so the the limiting the limiting hardy, uh, hiring of third party lobbyists I think that's one to save money but the other point that they were making is that a lot of these third party lobbyists right they you know if the if the medical board hires a third party lobbyist, that lobbyist probably has dozens of other private contracts, right? And so I think one of the thoughts is that the the other people that they lobby for who are paying them lots and lots of money, they're going to they're going to go in and they're going to kind of sneak that in the door when they're lobbying on behalf of the public agency that they represent. So I think it's I think it's one trying to save money on the part of the agencies by not letting them use their appropriated funds in this way, but two, trying to limit the influence of outside money and outside group on our politics. And I think that that is absolutely what the ethics committee was getting at saying that like there's conflicts of interest for legislators who immediately move into lobbying after they've termed out or lost their election and right. declined to run again. But I guess to phrase the question a different way, are these kinds of changes, if if the legislature had adopted the Ethics Committee rule, they didn't, mm-hmm. but let's say that they, if they had, and then these changes that the governor is making, are those the most effective way to curb the influence of big money and outside influences in our politics?
2: The best way? I don't know. But... You know, there's or even or even yeah, a good way I don't know I think that we expect a lot of our legislators actually I mean that's it's not an easy thing to do and they they you know they're not all of them wealthy people and and so that there is I, I mean I'm the, the the problems are real though the problems with that being part of the system are real <laughs>
1: So so you're leading me right where I wanna go. Which is which is like so I would actually submit that like these are fine things to do and they're things that I think politically they look good, but at the end of the day, I don't think they make that big of a difference because, as you said, the legislature and their staff are still overworked and underpaid. If you want to limit the influence of mm. like this kind of money and these kind of third-party influences in our politics, you need to do three things. You need to pay legislators more, right. like a lot yes. more. You need to pay their staff a lot more. Yes. And you need to give them bigger budgets to hire a lot more staff. Because, like as you said, and we've talked about it before on the show, the reason that they rely on lobbyists so much, and again, disclaimer – we have many friends that are lobbyists. Lobbyists are not inherently evil people. Like there are some that do really good things. Um, But the reason that they rely on them so much is because you may have two legislators who have one part-time legislative assistant and like that is their staff. This is not like the chairman of the Senate Finance Committee who's got a million and a half dollars to hire 25 people, right? Like that's that's not how this works. So if we want that to, we get the government that we are willing to pay for, right? And if we are only Mm. willing to pay our legislators, $30,000 a year, right? And let them have enough staff to have one part-time person. Then you're going to have a lot of people with a lot of money from the outside knocking at their door, telling them what they want to do, right? So like you want this to change, then we need to pony up the cash and pay for the professional legislature, for the professional government that we want. Because as I have said ad nauseum, even just today, working in government is a skill. It is a skill. It's not a. It is not uh, working in government. It's not a thing that you do if you can't do anything else. Everyone that I know who works in government does it because they are passionate about public service. Um, and most of them can make a lot more money doing other things. Yeah. Um, and they deserve they deserve better than what we give them
0: for that work. That's fair. I um, I was saying. I think we had this conversation earlier this week, Scott. But I don't. I agree that we need to pay that. That higher pay would change the dynamics there. I don't know that higher pay would necessarily be the solution because the cost of campaigning and running for office is still in, enormous, in the emotional toil, and a lot of folks just don't like the the ickiness of that, right? Of campaigning, of being in government, and the frustration. And I think you know people like uh, like former Senator A.J. Griffin who's a friend of the show, right? Like she was very ready to get out of that building. Yeah. Um and and became a, a, a lobbyist of sorts, I believe, and, and is doing well for herself and but she is someone who who then and now continues to advocate for things that matter and and arguably is able to do more now because aside from her job, she can has time to like dedicate to some of these boards and stuff that she serves on to to really make a difference. No, I mean you're 100 percent right. Like, I'm not saying that that like that that doesn't
1: like fix the like it doesn't make the problem like go away. But to me, if we're gonna try and take a concrete step that moves us a measurable direction, like a measurable distance in the right direction, that's the biggest first step that we could take, right? And not only are you gonna like, um, not not only would they be able to do more, right? Like, a lot of legislatures now, the ones that I think do the best job look at being elected official as a full-time job, right? They work for yeah. they, they work four months while they're in session, but they spend the rest of their year learning about their district, going to conferences, learning about statewide issues, visiting districts that aren't theirs, like figuring out what they can do for the people of Oklahoma. There are some people that serve there four months and then they go back to a full-time job and don't think about it again until February. I would guess, though, that if you... I would guess, though, that if they made $100,000 a year instead of $30,000 a year you would have a lot more people that would want to sign up and do it as a full-time job. If we did right? that, would you also make session the full year?
0: Um,
1: Maybe, maybe not. Like, you might keep them in, like, you might keep them in session longer, mm-hmm. but, like, with more frequent recesses and breaks. But I think the part like of the more reason... More like Congress does. Yeah, like, I think part of the reason, though, is, like, I mean, we had Representative West, right, like, dude lives four and a half hours away from his family. Right. Right. Like, so I don't know what is harder on a person like Kim. Is it better to be like in for two weeks and two weeks on a recess in for two weeks and two weeks on a recess, or is it better to just like knock it it out out. for four months and then go home and be home for the rest of the year? I think. Um, Yeah.
0: I mean, there's pros and cons of both. And like Texas as a freaking example, like they only do session every other year. Right. Yeah. Um, and some states do budget only one year, and then full session the next. And. Right. and the other thing that you would have is that if you have if you paid them a real
1: professional wage, right? And I mean, I pulled a hundred thousand dollars a year out of a hat, but like you can make up whatever number you want. You would have a lot fewer independently wealthy people, right? Because the people that are in the legislature, they're people that are either they are making a sacrifice and they're doing that intentionally because they want to serve, or they're people that don't have to worry about the money, and so. They do it because they don't need the thirty thousand dollars a year. You could pay them nothing and they wouldn't care, right? Like, right. there's, there's th- Like I don't know. I don't know anybody who's in the legislature
0: for the salary, one way or the other. No, but I mean, there's there are people like Cindy Munson who this is their full time job. Like this is really what she does. And right. She's not inherently wealthy. Right. right.
1: That's what that's what I'm saying. I think Cindy is someone who is making a sacrifice to be in public service. I think that Cindy, with all of her. Experience and just being the person that she is could work in the private sector and make a lot more money. Oh, but yeah. she chooses to serve because it's what she loves to do. She, yeah, and it's what she's passionate she's a about.
0: Quintessential public servant. All right. Well, I think that uh, I think that brings us to the end of this episode. That was a good discussion, gentlemen. Thank you for being here. Brian, thanks for being here. Yeah,
2: thanks for having me, guys. This worked out well. I yeah. like this. Thanks this for stopping by. You got free
0: whiskey and a good conversation out of it. You're right. gonna come yeah.
1: back and like recreate that whole criminal justice discussion we had beforehand i don't know man it's just it's hard to <laughs> we'll get
0: into your actual field of expertise uh thanks for joining us as a reminder next saturday uh june 15th at ten thirty a.m we're having civic saturday at the paramount room here on film row in oklahoma city uh, in partnership with mayor holt's <laughs> office Generation Citizen and Citizen University, which is a nationwide organization. Uh, you can picture this as a, a bit of a, like a church service, right? We're gonna have some, we call them civic scripture readings. Uh, it's really just some uh, quotes and uh, and stories from, from uh, civic heroes. There's gonna be a civic sermon. You can look up Eric Liu, L-I-U, on TED Talks. He's given a bunch of really great TED Talks been viewed by tens of millions of folks. He's gonna be here giving a civic sermon for us. Uh, we're going to have some uh, poets from local poets, uh, some musicians from local musicians. All of this crammed into an hour and a half. Should be a ton of fun. Hope to see you there 1030 at the Paramount. Find details on facebook.com slash let's fix this okay. Be sure and rate our podcast. Tell your friends and remember that we are a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization. We really need your support to help doing this podcast, doing all of our other stuff. After Civic Saturday, we got some really big, exciting things coming up. And we hope for you uh, will get involved. So, hit us up online. Let's fix Scott is at scmelson on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at andyokc. All of this is at let's fix this okay. What are you gonna say, Scott?
1: My Twitter feed is much less fiery than I am. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Fair enough. Have a good week, everybody.